Welcome to Didache, where we are studying to show ourselves approved, rightly dividing the word of truth so we can worship God in spirit and truth, deepening our knowledge of God, thereby enabling us to deepen our love for God. Here is your host, Justin Peters. Welcome to the program, ladies and gentlemen. I hope that this finds you and yours doing well. And I want to thank you for joining me. I am joined today uh, again with my friend and pastor, Jim Osmond. Jim and I went to see The Shack, and we've been spending the last couple of programs telling you about The Shack, giving a review of it, theological review. And Jim, in our last program, we were talking about the aberrant portrayal of the Trinity in The Shack. didn't really have a, a, a formal name to attach to it, so we came up with a new heresy, the Shackianism <laughs> uh, view of the Trinity, a, a heretical portrayal of the Trinity. And so today we're going to turn to the Christology of the Trinity, the how the movie portrays the second person of the Godhead, Jesus Christ. Now, just briefly, uh, to give you a very, very brief overview of what is a, an orthodox view of Christology, Christ. Before the incarnation, Christ, as was the case, or is the case, with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, did not have a physical body. From eternity past, uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit did not possess uh, physical bodies. But at the incarnation, the second person, Jesus, did take on a physical body, a human nature. And so the orthodox biblical view of Jesus Christ is that he is one person, but with two natures. This did not alter his deity. His deity has remained unchanged, and that is in keeping with the incommunicable attribute known as the immutability of God. Hebrews 13.8 does not. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So his deity has not changed, but he took on in the incarnation a human nature. And so Jesus while he was on earth, and even as we speak right now, as he will be for eternity future, is one person with two distinct natures, deity and humanity. A human right? nature and a, a divine nature, nature. And a divine nature. So that's a fair representation of the orthodox view of Christ, correct? That yeah, and I think, I think you could add, add to that, that in, as you speak about Christ in the Old Testament dispensation or time, that the second person appeared in various okay. physical forms in the Old Testament. We call them theophanies or, right. or revelations, appearances of God. Um, you know, wrestling with the, uh, Jacob, appearing to Abraham, appearing to Moses at the burning bush. Uh, I believe that all of those Old Testament appearances of God or sometimes called the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament right. was in fact the appearance of the second person of the Trinity. So then when Jesus in John chapter one says, uh, no one has seen God at any time, but the second person, the son, he has exegeted him or revealed him. It is the, nobody has seen the full nature and the being of God, father, son, and Holy spirit together. But the son is the fullest revelation of God. And so in the old Testament, you had the second person revealing himself, revealing God and appearing as God in the old Testament. That was always the second person. He is the one who reveals who God is. Right. And then in the New Testament, 
through the virgin birth, you have the fullest physical manifestation of what God can be as he is united and clothed, veiled in human flesh, as the, as the hymn says, veiled in flesh, the Godhead we see. Yeah. He's veiled in human flesh. He is, his divine nature is united with the human nature so that in the person of Christ, we have one who is the theanthropos, the God man, fully God, fully man, not a quasi combination, half man, half God, fully God, fully man in that one person. Not yellow and blue make green, right. not a new nature. Not a mixture. Not no a mixture. mix. No mixing of the natures either. Right. That's important to remember, right. too. Distinct and, natures. Mm-hmm. Distinct nature. Two distinct natures in one person. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's the, that's the biblical understanding of the person of Christ, but that is not what we see portrayed in the shack. Uh, the shack has... The shack diminishes... It, all of us as clear-thinking evangelicals, and I would dare say probably, at least in theory, a lot of people that would go to the shack and watch it, not for the same reasons that you and I did, but probably most of these people would affirm the deity of Christ, and they say, you know, you, you, would, you should not take away from the deity of Christ. That would be heresy to diminish his deity, but it is just as heretical to diminish the humanity of Christ. Right. If we don't have a if we don't have a savior who is fully human, then he cannot save us. Because he cannot represent us. He cannot stand in our stead. He cannot bear our guilt. He cannot intercede on our behalf. He cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. He cannot um he cannot represent us as the second Adam if he is not fully man. And throughout church history, you, you see these different, you see the pendulum swing between denying the deity of Jesus or denying the humanity of Jesus. Gnostics denied the humanity of Jesus and other cults and, 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 uh, false teachers denied the, the deity of Jesus. Um, we have to affirm both of them. And so it is equally heretical to deny the full humanity of Jesus. If, if he's not God, he can't save us, by the way, either, because he has to be able to right. pay an infinite price. He has to be able to represent God and pay and bear an infinite wrath for an infinite price for our infinite sin on that cross. And only God could do that. Only God could pay that price. But only man could stand instead of men. Only men could do, only a man could do what animal sacrifices could never do. Right. So it is a heresy to deny the humanity of Jesus as well. And that, in fact, is where the, that is where the shack goes off the rails. At one point in the movie, um, Mac is having a conversation with the Jesus figure, the Christ figure. Um, and he says to this Christ figure, so you are, you are God, right? And he affirms that the Jesus affirms that in the movie. And then he says, and you're also fully man, right? And he, and then there's this moment where Jesus kind of pauses as if he's thinking for the right words or he's not fully sure whether he's going to, you know, affirm that. And then he basically says, Quote, I am the best way any human can relate to Papa or Sarayu. End quote. So he, he doesn't affirm the deity is fully man, but he doesn't deny that he's fully man either. And the best thing you could say about that scene and the portrayal of Jesus is that it is unclear. Is he fully man? Does he fully share our human nature? Can he fully sympathize with our weaknesses? That That is left to, to question yeah. as far as the shack is concerned because all he can say about it is, I am the best way that people can relate to Papa. Right. And and I thought it was a, I thought it was a flat-out denial of his humanity because that's a pretty, theoretically, that's a pretty straightforward question that a yes or no answer would suffice. Are you, if you're asking Jesus, theoretically, of course, in the movie, are you God? Yes. Are you man? Yes. You know, that, that's pretty, 
but that's not how he answered in the movie. It's not how he answered it. But we can go ahead and affirm that, yes, in the person of Christ, we see fully all that we can, the best that we can, of what God looks like and what God is, how God reacts, how God speaks, how God cares. The nature of God we see on display in the person of Christ. We affirm that, and that's what he seems to be trying to say there. We, you know, we see the nature of the Father in the person of Christ. Right. We get that because they share the same nature. But William P. Young should have been willing and able to simply come out and say, yes, we can affirm the full humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is fully human as well as fully divine. Yeah. And it may be that uh, there, there's some there's some difference between how the the movie portrays Christ in this um, the story of the shack and Matt going to the shack and having this weekend with God, uh, as opposed to how God describes Himself uh, describes Jesus in His earthly work. Because in the book, Papa tells Mac in the book, uh, quote. Jesus has never drawn upon his nature as God to do anything. He has only lived out his relationship with me, living in the very same manner that I desire to be in relationship with every human being. And then speaking of the blind, healing the blind, Papa said to Mac of Jesus, he said, quote, He did so only as a dependent, limited human being, trusting in my life and power to be at work with, within him and... Through him, Jesus, as a human being, had no power within himself to heal anyone. End quote. And Jim, this is a this is a portrayal of Christ that I come across a lot in the Word of Faith movement, New Apostolic Reformation, that when Jesus was on earth, everything he did, he did strictly as a human, apart from any deit, uh, any deific nature that he had. He was working and operating, and did all of his miracles simply as a man mm -hmm. who was in close fellowship with God. What's the problem with that? Well, the implication of that is that if, if, that's, if Jesus was able to do all of that, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, walk on water, multiply bread and fish, etc., if he did all of that not relying upon any divine power, but merely and solely because of his relationship with the Father, then the implication is that we can be able to do the same thing because that's how we are called to live. It's just in relationship. We don't have a divine nature to tap into. We don't have any, we don't have any, uh, anything other than just our humanity to rely upon. And so I should be able to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, multiply bread and fish, walk on water, raise myself from the dead, etc. Right. So all of those miracles, if Jesus was only doing those things in his humanity, and all of his ability to do those things was the result of him walking closely with God, then if I walk closely with God, what? I should be able to do all of the exact same things. That puts all of those, it, it, it takes, it makes all of the signs that Jesus did no more significant than anything we can do. We, we should be able to do the same thing. Right. Which is precisely what the NAR and Word of Faith people teach. Right. Now, to play devil's advocate, and I know the answer to this because it's something I teach on in my seminar, they will say, well, Jesus said, greater works than these you will do. So uh, doesn't that mean, does, isn't that a teaching from Christ that we can do the exact same things that he did? Not only that, but even more? Greater even miracles. Greater miracles. Yeah, in, in that context that Jesus said that in John chapter, I think that's 14. Yes. Is that right? I preached through John. I should know this. I think it's John chapter 14. Yeah. So when Jesus said that, the um, what he was describing was not necessarily the signs and the wonders, but it is true that the church has done more works than Christ did in his 33 years. Greater in number, greater in scope, 
some of them greater in magnitude. The church has preached to more people than Christ preached to. The church has ministered and cared for more sick than Christ did. The church has done this as his body has done this all over the world to millions of people throughout the last 2,000 years. It's not describing the scope of miracles as if what Jesus multiplied bread and fish and fed 5,000, we should be able to do 10 or 20 or 30,000 because we're doing greater miracles than he did. That's not what he was describing. He was describing the work of the church in its normal ministry around the planet in the church age as a result of the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit, which he also describes there in John chapter 14, the indwelling and empowering work of the Holy Spirit for ministry, for life and service. Right. Yeah, that's a, that's a verse that is often taken out of context. So uh, so there is word of faith theology in the shack, the apostolic reformation, uh, understanding of Christology all throughout the shack, and uh, it's, it's heretical, and, and so I'm glad we dealt with that. One thing, one thing we could say about the way that the shack reveals or portrays Jesus in the film is it, it portrays him as this kind, gentle, warm, glowing, friendly yeah. individual. There is something alluring to it, which I don't necessarily think that Jesus was, that we should picture our, our image of Jesus being stern and reproving constantly. He was a friend to sinners. I think Jesus was fun to be around. I think that he was an enjoyable person to talk with and to speak with to those who would submit to him. Not for the Pharisees. There was nothing enjoyable about Jesus for the Pharisees. Right. But for, I don't think that Peter and John hated being in his presence. Right. And so I think that there is, the shack does that well in creating Jesus, portraying him as being and the type of person that you would want to spend an afternoon with. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because that's how I do think Jesus was. Yeah. But that's the only positive thing I could say about how the shack portrayed Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Now, Building off of or jumping off from the Christology, that leads us into issues with the atonement. As from the per- person of Christ to the work of Christ. To the, right, from the person of Christ to the work of Christ, both of which we've got to have right. And by the way, Jim, it, you know, if I were to come up to you and disparage your wife, Deidre, or say something bad about her, or say something about a, bad about your mom, you would bow up immediately, right? And I would be upset. You would be upset. Yep. All of us would, right? Uh, I would do. I would be the same way. Somebody disparages uh, Kathy or says something bad about you know my mom or a family member. We we bow up. We we get righteously indignant about that, rightly so. But when when God is disparaged, when He is inaccurately portrayed to the world to the masses. That doesn't seem to bother Christians, at least professing Christians. Mm-hmm. And but this this is some, we're not nitpicking here. We're not just we're not these uh, heresy hunters. It, it's not an, it's not an issue of nitpicking or trying to find fault in everything. But this is a serious issue. The portrayal of God is a very very serious issue, and it's it's interesting that we would we would jump to the defense of a family member, but when God is being attacked and, and misrepresented, it's troubling that so many of us don't seem to get as exercised. People get exercised when you speak bad about their pet. Yeah. I mean, good grief. Right. right. You well, you get all upset. Don't when I, I know. You get all upset when I start saying stuff about your dog. Yeah, he came in here and said something bad about me, and I <laughs> hit him upside the head with my crutch. <laughs> all right, so uh, going from the person of Christ to the work of Christ, the atonement, a very bizarre view, uh, portrayal of the atonement in the movie, Jim. There was... Each member of the of the Godhead, Papa, Sarayu, and Jesus, each each of them had 
nail prints mm-hmm. in their wrist. And yeah. oddly, it was just on the underside. It didn't come out on the, well, whatever you would call that, dorsal side or whatever. I noticed that, yeah. So I don't know what that was about. But anyway, we'll let that slide. But each member of each member of the uh, of the of the Trinity had the nail prints. Now, there's a word we give to this. The, the, there's a term called patripassianism, which means that refers to the heresy that God the Father suffered on while Jesus was on the cross. God the Father suffered as well, shared in that suffering. It's called patripassianism. Uh, but this we could, I, I guess, call theopassianism because each member of the Godhead suffered. It's and an element so, of Shackian theology. Shack, another, yeah, another element of Shackian theology. So why is that problem? Why was it a problem that Papa and Sarayu had the nail prints? What's what's so her- heretical about that? Well, first, uh, let me describe how it is that the movie portrayed this. When Mac is when Mac is getting all up in uh, Papa's grill about Papa abandoning not only his daughter but uh, Papa abandoning even his own, her own, his own. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, obviously Papa's a woman in the movie and supposed to be the father figure, but uh, Papa gets, um, Mac, Mac uh, reproves Papa for abandoning not only his daughter, but also his own son. You know, where were you? You even let your own son die. And you don't, not only did you not love my daughter enough to save her, you didn't even love your son enough to save him. And so there is this, um, this reference to Christ dying and being abandoned. And they even quote that, uh, um, Psalm 22. Yeah, Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he uses that to show that, see, even there, Papa abandoned his, her uh, son on the cross. And so then Papa re- shows his wrists to Mac and says, no, while he was there, don't think that I was distant from it. You know, I was right there with him. And as if the father shared in that suffering and showed the wounds on the wrist in order to prove that the father was there in that suffering. And then at another point, there is just, and it's, it's brief, but it's very brief where you see the Holy Spirit, Sarayu's, uh, wounds as her hands hang to her side. You can see it just a camera shot. So there are the ideas that all three of these persons, uh, died on the cross or suffered in the crucifixion. And I think what William Young was trying to say was that God suffered. And so if God suffered, then all three persons suffered or all three of these persons bore some suffering on the cross. I think that was what he was trying to get at. But it leads to this heresy that the Father or the Holy Spirit suffered on the cross when Scripture is clear that it is the Divine Son, the second person who suffered on the cross, not the Father and not the Holy Spirit. The second person bore the wrath of the first person. The Father poured out his wrath upon his Son in our stead. And that's an important distinction to make. The Father was not there suffering the penalty for sin. The Father was there pouring out the penalty for sin upon his Son so that the Son might bear it in our stead, on our behalf. So... That is, that's the, uh, what we call the propitiation. Jesus satisfied the wrath of the Father. Right, right. And so, um, the, the reality of the crucifixion of the Son is communicated in the shack, but it's never explained. And the problem is in thinking that all three persons suffered that same, that same wrath on the cross, or that they all died there, or that they all suffered there. And, of course, that breaks down the distinction between the persons, and it's an allusion then to modalism. This is where we talked about in a previous episode that this modalism kind of kind of creeps in. It's the idea that one person suffered. And so all three of these personages or 
all three of these manifestations of God would bear the marks of that suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas scripture doesn't teach that. And, and Christians should be offended at this. If you are passionate about the fact that Christ died for your sins and that the son bore that wrath and that the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world and John sees this lamb as if slain from before the foundation of the world in Revelation, if you're passionate about that and you, and you love the crucifixion, the suffering of Jesus because of what it has done for you, you ought to be offended and, and rightly so that such an act and such an event is mischaracterized and misportrayed in the movie. He didn't have to characterize it that way. Right. In order to, in order to explain that the, the son was not abandoned on the cross, he needed to do nothing other than go to scripture and to show that the father did not abandon. He, he has not abandoned him who trusted in him. Psalm 22. Yes. The father did not abandon the son on the cross. All, all William T. Young had to do was explain that. He didn't have to try and, and slip into this heresy of patropassionism or try and suggest that somehow the Holy Spirit was there suffering as well. Yeah. Yeah. And that's great. I'm glad you, I'm glad you brought that up, even though we could spend. You do a whole nother episode just on on this, but when a careful reading of Psalm 22, that's what Jesus quoted on the cross. My God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? When you go down verse 19, verse 24 of Psalm 22, it, it states very clearly that the father did not abandon him. Right. Uh, Neither has he hid his face from him, but when he cried unto him, he heard. It's mm-hmm. uh, verse 24. Uh, nowhere in Psalm 22 will you find any confession of sin. And, and Jesus is alluding to that. He's quoting that and alluding to that and applies that to himself. There's no confession of sin anywhere in Psalm 22. So I, I just I marvel at the specificity of the scriptures. And it's important to note, when Jesus died on the cross... He did not die spiritually, right. right? It was not his deity that died. Remember, dear friends, uh, as we began this program, we talked about how Jesus is one person with two natures. When he died on the cross, his 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 God nature did not die. His deity did not die. His humanity died. And uh, that's also the spiritual death of Jesus is another word of faith uh, doctrine that's that's heretical. But we see overtones of this in the shack. So any comments about that, about the the nature, the human and divine nature? No, I fully concur with that. He's, he suffered in a body. He bore his he bore our sins in his own body on the cross. There is the man Christ Jesus who was who was suffering, uh, not for his own sins, but for the sins of others. And it's important to to make that distinction that the Father was was there with the Son, not in terms that he was suffering with the Son, but that he was upholding the Son by his righteous right hand. Um, the father was there pouring out his wrath upon the son, not turning his back on him, not abandoning him. There was no division or split within the Trinity. Um, I, I don't believe that that is the case. I think your assessment of Psalm 22 is accurate and correct, that that, um, that, that the son was not abandoned on the cross. People quote the first part of the verse, the first right. verse of that psalm, right. without looking at the entire psalm and without understanding that, that David there is expressing how he felt. Yeah. He felt abandoned, but he that was not abandoned. the reality. Right. And the rest of the psalm describes the reality. He has not hid his face from me. That was the reality that David came to understand. And when Jesus quoted that psalm, he was quoting that psalm to indicate that the not just the first verse, but the entire psalm is about him and his suffering. And then he quoted that psalm in order to show that this was how he and his humanity did feel. Right. Abandoned. Goodness. He looked abandoned. And in his humanity, he, but in reality, he was not abandoned. In his humanity, he may have felt that way. He confesses that um, um, because the Father was pouring out his wrath upon him. Though he endured the feeling and the wrath of abandonment, 
He was not, in fact, abandoned. Right, right. Spot on, spot on. That's a, and that's something, that's, that's an error. It's just not just in the Word of Faith movement in the shack, but I dare say 98 plus percent of evangelicals think that the, the Trinity was split on when Jesus was on the cross and it was not. So, all right, dear friends, well, thank you very much for joining me. Uh, we will continue this for at least one more program, maybe two. We'll see how it goes. Until then, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Thank you for listening to Didache. We hope that you were encouraged and edified by what you just heard. If you have a question or comment for Justin, or interested in more teaching resources, or would like to have him come and preach at your church or conference, you may contact him at justinpeters.org.